Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. When it comes to trucks, it's a Chevy, good old American made. When it comes to my dog, Betty, she's gonna chew on everything. When it comes to Tennessee whiskey, just a couple shots will get me feeling good. When it comes to you, it's a smile and a kiss and a touch and a rush that I didn't see coming. A burning city you made for me that I wouldn't trade for nothing. It's a parking lot racing shopping carts, running wild and howling at the moon. Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast. That was Blaine Holcomb with When It Comes to Love. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you doing? Hello, Nicole, and hello, Greg. Hello, everyone. That was a real kind of, you know, modern day country tune, like, you know, right? Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when you talk about 
uh, songwriting, uh, Nashville-based songwriting in the last 20 years. They're right on point. I mean, the clever lines, you know, and the kind of everyday stuff that right. uh, gets written in a clever way. It's not as easy to do as people think it is. I mean, some people don't dig that kind of songwriting, right. you know, where every line is just more clever than the next. I'll tell you who did it for consistently for like 15 years was Brad Paisley. I mean, it just extraordinary right. songs that were so clever. You know what I heard though? This is something mm-hmm. kind of related lead guitar. The lead solo section of a song has kind of gone away for a long time, especially in, just like in, in pop music, you know, there's no more leads. I heard that yeah, the lead is com- that. that the lead is coming back. The lead guitar players, like, we like, like this song had a lead. Like, usually used yep. to be, you know, intro, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle, or lead, or middle, then lead. Then, like, they slow down, they break it down, the chorus gets half, half time chorus, then they finale and end it. You know, it's like, it's a, and, uh, but the lead's back, and the song had a lead. Yeah, a picker. You know, I mean, I, I think it's, it's difficult to pull off because, uh, you can lose people if, if it's not, it's not a great lead if it's not. You know, again, you know, I go back to when we, we were doing it. Leads were like, like you know, Zeppelin. I know those lead notes for note. The lead, Absolutely. to me, the lead in Bohemian Rhapsody is like as, as much as the song as anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I could sing the lead, like so. Uh, Zeppelin. And you would had, listen for when you saw that act live, or when you saw. You want to hear the lead exactly. You right? want to hear that damn lead exactly. And like right. you know, um, you know, even like Guns and Roses leads, and like even oh, like yeah. even the Beatles, something that was a lead. Yeah. You know, these songs. You know, so leads were big. You know, so Pink Floyd, give me a break. That's you know, what that's what's funny. People used to complain about Jimmy Page, and they they'd claim you know he's not. Not a great live player. He's like more of a studio guy. Well, it was because he never recreated the, the leads that he was playing on record. Well, right, I, well, I think, he didn't care about it in a Well, I think what happened, study. to some degree, I think Ryan May wrote those leads. You know, he, he crafted the lead and learned it. Where yeah, I think his tone, I, too. I, I, think, I think Paige, like for like, you know, Stairway to Heaven, just did it. Did a little, little, little. He just, he just blew it off. You know, he just played it. And then like, so he's live again. So he just, he just played, you know, I don't think he's like. Van Halen the same way. I mean, those things were so incredibly constructed that, and he was, he was adamant about playing. Them oh, he played the it right. Oh, he, he was great yeah. live. I got you. Yeah. He did the same exact thing live. I remember like. Great technician. Yeah. I had a guy that wanted to manage me. I think I might have told this story once before. Mm-hmm. He lived in Denver. His name was Jeff Workman. He was a cool guy, too. His, he was a producer. His wife at the time, this girl, Lori Workman, she wanted to manage me. So anyway, she flew me out to Denver. I went out there, and uh, it was going to be a package deal. She would manage me. He'd produce me. And Jeff started out at Trident Studios, this English cat. He just died a few years ago, sadly. And he was the tape op for like- Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. King Crimson and stuff. He was the engineer for um, Roy Thomas Baker and uh, Night of the Opera. He was the the, the wow. engineer. So he told me the stories of how Bohemian Rhapsody Amy got constructed, right? So anyway, it was one of the guys he produced. He produced Sammy Hagar. So when I was out in Denver, that's when Sammy Hagar was part of Van Halen. He just happened to be in town that week I was in Denver. So we went backstage to Van Halen, right? You know, I would never have gone to a Van Halen concert myself. Right. You know, I, they were good, but I, I would never care to go see him, you know? Right, but, um, right. But I'm backstage, and what they did, like, they played a long show. And what they used to do is, 
So each one would like three guys would walk off the stage and each one would take like a 20 minute solo. Like, you know, Sammy Hagar <laughs> did a 20 minute acoustic set. The bass player, oh, yeah. Michael Anthony did a 20 minute. Everyone else was gone. The drummer. So then there's one set where everyone walks off and I'm on the side of the stage and Eddie just, just starts playing the guitar for 20 minutes and he plays all this Bach invention stuff. And he's incredible. Like yeah. you know, the stuff that he did, he was like amazing for 20 minutes, you know, just like, yeah, that's the, that was used to be kind of like the, that was the template, right? So there would be, the band would get a 15 minute break while, you know, the guitar players took the stage and basically did their noodling and their, and their solo stuff. And, you know, experimented with different sounds and, they're up there by themselves. I, I saw last night the band from like the end of the eighties, early nineties, a band called Poison. Why? Yeah. Why? Why would you go Deville. see? Well, I, I was just thumbing through the channels on YouTube. Oh, I and thought somebody... you actually went to a concert. No, 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 no. Oh, I was right. thumbing through the channels, and uh, yeah, I was speaking of would have never gone, but uh, it was interesting because I wa- I ended up watching pretty much the entire set. Today, everybody is recording all the shows via cell phone, you know? So, I mean, there were probably 10,000 cell phones and 10,000 recordings of that show. They're out with a package tour of, I don't remember who all is, uh, I think maybe Motley Crue. Boys and Brett Michaels? Yeah. How many? Brett Michaels. How many throws in the guitars? The guitarist, he was pretty well regarded back in the day. No, those guys, I thought those those guys were were just like posers compared to Eddie V. They weren't, they weren't that good. I'm sorry. I'll tell you the, I'll tell you what though. Winger. What was interesting is there because of, because live music is so big again and because there are thousands and thousands of people going to concerts again and all these people are getting back out on the road because it's the only way they can make money now. I will say this, that their set had, of all the sets, their set had the most energy, and they most certainly did that thing where C.C. DeVille, the guitar player, he took the the, I thought they were the epitome of Cinderella. They were the epitome of these hair bands. I I disagree. Oh, yeah, no question. I'm I'm just saying that, you know, uh, Brett Michaels is 59 years old, you know, and he- The headband. Yeah, I think the hair's attached to the headband, by the way. But, uh, I mean, if that hair's still real, I mean, God yeah, bless who it. Knows? But like- I mean, it, it doesn't look it. It, it looks, if, if it's real, he should uh, flaunt it more. But my point was that they actually did approach the set with a certain amount of energy. I was, I was impressed with that. And I was also impressed with CZ DeVille, believe it or not. I mean, he's kind of what we used to call a high roller. He he strikes the string once and then rolls four notes with his left hand, you know. But other than that, uh oh, cool. Don Kirshner Jr. Jr. <laughs> here. This day in rock, today in this day in rock, nothing happened. Ah, <laughs> ah. <laughs> so anyway, so good. So poison's good, and and uh, Cinderella yeah, they, and, they, they, and they, Winger they and set. White and I'll, I'll tell you those White I, Lion I <laughs> the songs, but. Rat and uh, you know come on feel the noise and <laughs> it's like <laughs> oh, I hate I, I hated all that stuff man me too I don't know it was too simplistic for me I was a prog rock guy when all those guys were making money 
So what are we doing? What's going on in this day in music? Well, so we are a music. Excuse me. We are a music podcast. We are a music uh, entertainment and instructional podcast. Yes. Um, (laughs) So some news is one: our lovely uh, Tennessee state secretary got arrested for a DUI outside of Bonnaroo this weekend. That was top news. Whoopsie. For one, do we have a sound effect? Why? Why are? I don't think that those kind of people should be allowed to go to Bonnaroo. I didn't think those people did go to Bonnaroo. Oh no, I think they go no, to Bonnaroo and if they you like are, drum up if folks, you, are a, you know, and they, uh, and they love being. But no, special, but like right? Bonnaroo is a huge out no, of state. If you are a like, mid to high no. level, mid to high level government employee, you cannot go to rock concerts. I'm sorry. It's a rule. <laughs> no. Jamming out, jamming uh, out in their uh-oh. suits with their. He's high. a man of the people. I'm sure. <laughs> No government officials can go to a, a hip rock <laughs> concert. Rock concert. It, 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 it de it. Is that a word? <laughs> de-hippens it. It, it de-hippens. Well, I think, uh, it yeah. It makes I mean, it, it unhip, maybe? Right. It makes it unhip. Bonnaroo. It's very easy to make Bonnaroo unhip these days. As a matter of fact, <laughs> it's known for, you know, being this uh, kind of destination for several days and you know it and, and being a giant festival and the pictures that i saw posted the my my friends that go make a make a a point of it uh it looked like there was nobody there and they made the comment that there isn't anybody here so it's very strange they should hold them all at once bonnaroo and burning man and what else have we got going what else? right well, all make all things. one big just mess. put them all together in the desert. One, Let them set each other on fire. <laughs> it's exactly. basically like lawless three days. Like July, like the first, like make July month like festival mania. Just pick a place <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and just put all of them there and just say, yeah. and see what happens. <laughs> or, or maybe do this. This is what needs to happen. You know, there are always, you know, there are always major cities. <laughs> There are major cities that are always teetering on the edge of bankruptcy. Just make the city an entire festival. You know, instead of sleeping in a sleeping bag, you know, you can have a four bedroom apartment overlooking a particular, you know, show. Make the entire city rock and roll. So, 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 what happened to this guy? So, is he? Nah, he got arrested. I think he I made mean, bail. Yeah. Like he. I mean, he got arrested. He made bail. He'll probably go to court and get off for it. So, what's the big thing with the um, with the chicks or the Dixie chicks? But they they stopped after two songs or something in their concert last week. Do we know anything about that? I'll look it up. Hold on, really quick. While I, while I look that up, did you hear about the Rolling Stones' new 60th anniversary docuseries coming out? Wow, 60th anniversary. Rolling Stoneroo. Yeah. <laughs> Stoneroo. <laughs> Come on. Oh, so apparently the chicks cut the show short because Natalie Maines, as quote she says, I just can't pull it off. She was having voice issues. Mm. <laughs> Someone tell Paul McCartney about that. I guess he Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> he she doesn't hear that, man. She's always a good singer. I wonder what's going on. But I think she's also a bit of a drama queen, too. So it isn't she the one. Who knows if they were using that, it to drum it up to like get more attention? Isn't, isn't she the one that like popped off with the political discourse that I like got him canceled in the first place. She's point. always on Howard Stern. <laughs> but you know what's cool? Springsteen showed up at McCartney's last show on his birthday, you know, in Jersey. 
And that was kind of cool. Yeah, I saw that. They sang Glory Days. If you're in that audience, you know that's, that's a pretty two for one right there, man. When did you when did you last see Springsteen perform? Was it two years ago? Oh, I saw him on Broadway, right? So that was two years ago. Is we he, were doing is the he, podcast. Is he still in good voice. Well, he does what he does. I mean, he, he's, he's one never of those, really was much right. Of a that's why he can do singer, it. But he's he's I, one of those guys like Jagger who never sang great to begin with. So you really can't, there's nothing to lose. Just like uh, ugly people age better than good looking people. <laughs> it's true. Ugly people age better because they have nothing that's to lose. That's a Carl's rule right there. But that's, but that's true. They have nothing to lose. I've seen guys like these old character actors that were ugly as a, that now they're better looking when they're older. Well, guys tend to age more gracefully too. Like they just get well, better I, with age. No where Yeah. Uh, Betty White did well. Because she just she, went with it. She just went with she it. She did, but like that's how you should do. That's how you but should do I assume be. she had a certain amount of maintenance as well as most people that are in the public. But she eye didn't like look like she like she did something where she didn't look like herself, if that makes sense. Like she I saw a documentary a couple weeks ago on Jackie Collins, you know, the novelist. Right. That this the sister of Joan Collins. Right. Joan Collins is still out there. So she's got to be approaching ninety, right. you know. And she has aged extraordinarily gracefully. I, I know that she's had a lot of work done, but it's yeah, crazy. But maybe I'm wrong, her. but if you're like in your eighties and you're still trying to look sexy, I think I think maybe you should like tone it down a bit. You know, like maybe, maybe don't show as much cleavage. <laughs> you know. <laughs> That nineties cleavage is right, a little, right, right. That's a little yeah, bit rough. Okay, how much tucking you got? And so, her, how is her, this? What does this have to do with the music industry? Nothing. It has nothing. We have veered away from that. Oh man, why do we? Why do we have this podcast? Because it's fun. <laughs> For do, who? Do we want to listen to another single by Blaine? Then go ahead. All right, we are going to listen to Blaine's next single called "Lessons," which is featuring Kinsey Rose. But before that, we are going to learn a little bit about his publicity company, Publicity Nation PR. This episode features an artist from Publicity Nation PR. Publicity Nation PR is a music, entertainment, and lifestyle public relations and artist development agency based in Nashville, Tennessee. They are an industry leader in music and entertainment publicity, artist development, branding, and commercial projects for artists, entertainers, entrepreneurs, and social influencers. Their drive, dedication, and exemplary work ethic leads the way to their client success. For more information, go to publicitynation.com. Again, that is publicitynation.com. A bully won't stop till you stand up to You ain't gonna win if you plan on losing Sometimes a curse can be a blessing So wait your turn and learn your lessons Don't hold a grudge, it'll make you better Don't think that money's gonna make you richer Happiness ain't about possessions Gotta crash and burn Learn your lessons You can't win them all You can't change the past Don't take for granted what you got Don't 
coming out of that it's like always makes me say that was uh, you know <laughs> like just coming just coming back from the radio over the top you know do we know if he is he writing or is or is he cutting other outside material um i'm not 100 percent sure but i do know that the kinsey rose who was featured on this she mm-hmm. was nbc the voice season 21 so she's already mm-hmm. got some street cred and i guess she's been featured on vince gill's single Fair weather love. So she's got a little bit of credibility there. Cool. Yeah. All right. And we talked to this guy, right? We did speak to Blaine. Uh, he answered our questions of the week. All right. What you got, Blaine? <laughs> All right. So the first question we asked him is to tell us a little bit about himself. I grew up in Hamilton, New York, which is a small rural college town in upstate New York, about an hour outside of Syracuse. I grew up hunting and fishing. I love the outdoors and uh, I Played sports all through, uh, from the time I was young, all through high school. Played hockey, soccer, lacrosse, golf. And I started taking guitar lessons when I was in fifth grade, when I was 11. And, and that's kind of where my passion for music started, I guess. And had a high school band, played with some high school buddies through you know middle school and high school. And then once I got into college, music kind of became more of a, a forefront for me. Uh, sports was over, essentially, at that point. I wasn't good enough to play college sports. So I started playing music more and more, eventually ended up joining a regional country cover band called the Fulton Chain Gang. I toured around New York State with them for three years while I was in college. And then during that time is when I made the decision that once I graduated college, I was going to pack up the truck and head down to Nashville and give it a shot here in in Music City. And that was seven years ago that I made the move. And I I feel like I'm just getting started and and, uh, just really getting going here. So no plans to change or do anything different. I'm I'm here to make it and I'm here to stay. There you go. 
He's from Hamilton, which is like 35 minutes away from my college town of Oneonta. You know, I, I think people don't understand exactly how rural upstate New York is. Oh my God, is. It, that was it, a culture shock when I went to college. I loved upstate, man. I love upstate. I, I really do. It's funny though, with, with his story, it's amazing how like, he's, he's probably considerably younger than I am, but it's the same story. You know, I started the guitar lessons at nine, I was nine. And then I did that for a while. Then I started my bands and then got into high school, did other bands. After high school is the point of demarcation. <laughs> that's when, like, right. at yeah. that point, you knew who was going to be the musicians. So in, in college is when I started, like, getting more serious into it and blah, blah, blah. And, like, and then you just go for it. And then that's what it is. So it's a weird, like, th that was what I wanted to ask today. Like, why do you think people do this? I guess it's for a bunch of different reasons. But nowadays, less talented people can go through the process of trying to do it. Where like years ago, they'd be like, the turn yeah, easier. They're, they're, I mean, I guess what you're describing is that gatekeeping process that we talk about a lot. And, and I think the gatekeeping process is effectively done for. I mean, it doesn't exist anymore. Now, you can make a record. You can certainly, you know, uh, distribute it around. And there are people that if you pay them a certain amount of money, they're going to make sure that your track or your album or your songs are available, you know, right there next to you know, Elton John. I've always, you know, had a DIY um, kind of mentality. So I always had recording equipment. Like, so I, I'm helping people make demos, right? You know, right. to make money, you know, I charge people, but I would tell people no. But did you come out and tell them the reason you weren't doing it? Or did you just make an excuse and say, I'm busy that week or I'm, I'm booked? No, I, I, used to, I, used to say, I used to be cruder. I, I would say, you know, you really don't. You should go home and like maybe write some new songs and take some voice lessons and maybe learn how to play your guitar. I know a lot of people that basically say I'm booked, you know, and they just because they just don't want to work with that person creatively. But tell you something funny that, that Scott told me, which is great, right? Because Scott says he's been in sessions with people who really weren't that great, right? Singers, you know, yeah. you just you got to do it. So his thing would be like he'd record someone like and they do this like horrible vocal, right? So he right. goes, all right, come in and listen. <laughs> and, and, they'd, and they'd come in and goes, what do you think? And they go, it's good. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> it's like, just no, like it no common like wherewithal that like they actually truly are. Yeah, terrible. like like Carl says, he calls it self awareness. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, but you know what? I mean, they probably asked Johnny Lydon, you know, how his vocals were on those records they were making, and. How could he say anything other than it's awesome or it's great? Yeah, no, but you know, that's it, different. That that was what pure attitude. Does it have to be horrible in order for it to be legitimate? You no, know, there, there, there was like, no, nah, come on. There are people who are just well. There, there, but there's a lot of reasons why something's good. Getting back to my friend Jeff Workman, he was Roy Thomas Baker's engineer, so he did a lot of Queen albums, but also he did the first Cars album, right? Yeah. So when they're doing the first Cars album, Ben Orr was the be better singer. He sang just when I needed. He's a great singer, yeah. right? So he sang one or two songs, but they knew that Rick Ocasek wrote other songs. So around the third day of vocals. Rick Ocasek starts singing like, okay, open and stereo. Jeff goes, okay, uh, Rick, when's Ben coming in to cut the vocals? <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, no, I'm singing this song. Oh, he goes, no, we got a bunch of singers in the band. He goes, right? oh, you're, you're singing this song? Uh, okay. Yeah. That almost never worked, by the way. I mean, I'm sure that the labels 
were kind of freaking out over the idea there was going to be more than Duh, one vocal. The, on the Beatles. <laughs> well, that, you know, it hadn't worked since the Beatles in 1985. Well, supposedly, if you read if you read back in the old days, George Martin said that when they auditioned, who's the lead singer here? Who's going to be the main vocal guy? Right. And he goes, none. They're all kind of the same. So right. I guess we'll just take them as a lot and see. It usually has to do with a like an ego struggle inside the band. That wasn't the way it was for the Cars. Well, do we want to hear from Blaine and the second question that we asked him? Let's ask him. Let's see what else we asked Blaine. What else we asked him? All right. So we asked him, what music artists have influenced your career so far? I've always been a huge fan of country music for as far back as I can remember, singing along to country radio before I even learned how to play guitar. And actually, the first song that I ever memorized all the lyrics to was Dina Carter's Strawberry Wine. I think that came out in 1997. I was about six years old. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I love all all eras of country music from back in the you know early days, Hank Williams senior days to present day stuff. I love George Jones and Merle Haggard and Keith Whitley and Daryl Singletary, Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, George Strait, Brad Paisley. All those guys have, have influenced my career a lot. Along with uh, along with Eric Church, he's a big influence of mine. Eric Church's album Sinners Like Me, one of my favorite country albums of the last twenty years. Uh, 90s country, if I had to pick one era or one decade of country music, I'd say 90s country is my favorite. I love Brooks and Dunn and, you know, Garth and Alan and George and all those guys. So, yeah, that stuff really kind of shaped me as a, as a person and also uh, influences my career a lot. I think you can hear a lot of that style through my my writing and, and uh, the production of my current stuff, even though it, it does sound like a more modern production. It definitely has a lot of uh, influence and a lot of roots in that 90s country and even, uh, you know, older traditional country style. You know, it's interesting that he brought up Dina Carter. Dina Carter was actually the one who performed when we had that songwriters festival back at Hollywood. Right. But yeah, Yeah, she's kind of what brought us together. The other thing that it was interesting is that he's the first person that we've heard from, you know, we talk about nineties influence all the time on this podcast, but he's the first country person that we've heard say, I'm in, I'm influenced by nineties era, you know, country music. I, I remember like, you know, when I first met you, you were big with Alan Jackson. What was that? You had some kind of connection with Alan Jackson, didn't you? My friend, my close friend, uh, managed Alan for three or four years inside his career when he was at his peak. And so, yeah, I had a lot of access to, uh, that whole world. And it was pretty special, pretty bizarre, you know, millions and millions of dollars, being generated on a monthly basis. You know, I, I was such a New Yorker, man. When I first came up here, I did this co-write with Tammy Cochran, right? Yeah. And and I'm saying, I said, I want to... <laughs> Telling her, going, I want to be like, like, you know, I want to be like real country western, you know, country western. And she goes, Carl, we really don't use the western anymore. Because you know? <laughs> I was, I always called it country western. You know, the R five four nine. They used the western, but other than that, but the way she goes, Carl, we, we can, you, can, you, you can drop the western. <laughs> Gosh, I'm trying to remember because being from Long Island, country music was not prevalent when we were growing up. Right, man. I'm trying to remember like the first instance Eddie of Rabbit, hearing Eddie, it. The one Eddie Rabbit song or, or, or yeah, that was Ronnie, kind of like Ronnie the, the first iteration. No, but and Murray. That was the first iteration of country pop kind of music when Dolly. that was on the heels of the something called urban cowboy movement. Yeah, but no, I because I, I was trying to remember like what was like the first country music I was either exposed to or um, was influenced by, and honestly, 
it's really embarrassing to say, but we had this talent show at the end of the year with elementary school called Putting on the Hits. And it was either first or second grade, but our friend group, like for some reason, was in love with Billy Ray Cyrus's Don't Break My Heart, My Achy Breaky Heart. And we performed a dance to it. Like that, that was kind of like a novelty song. Well, but it, to, be, to be honest, that was a stupidly successful. <laughs> it was, but like it, thinking it, it about was that, a novelty song. It was a sure. dance. It was a song. It was a mullet. It was everything, man. Right? <laughs> it was everything country, country music dreamed it would be. He was he for like twenty minutes. He was huge as hell. Billy Ray Cyrus. My mother loved him. What was that TV show he was on? Hannah was Montana. No, he was a doctor on some like you know Channel Nine show. He played some doctor. Are you some, thinking of George Clooney and ER? No, no. Billy Ray Cyrus. Google it. Billy right, Ray Cyrus on. was on some TV show. That must have not. That would have been, been a very short-lived thing. No, it was like six seasons. It was a big thing on you, Channel 9. You're not thinking of Rick Springfield, are you? No, it was Billy Ray Cyrus. Was it a was doctor. literally it was called dark. Doc. There you go. Right? Really? Yep. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know he she was. She loved uh, him. She thought he was really good. He was like a down home country doctor and like some local. Yep. Local Dr. Town. Clint Doc. What, what is it? Hold on. Carl, this is crazy. Yeah. Right. You have pulled out some pop knowledge. Well, my mom. Uh, my mom loved it. She goes, I love him. And then I remember like she <laughs> Dr. goes. Dr. Clint Cassidy. Yeah, she loved him. And then like. Did she, your mom like Elvis? Of course, she loved Elvis. Because there was an Elvis element to Billy Ray when he first got started. My mom loved Elvis. Yeah. She, um, yeah, she, uh, she was kind of cool. Anything else we want to talk about in this in this well-rounded informational <laughs> podcast? Yeah, we got I mean, everything in this podcast. The only other thing I could think of is Billie Eilish coming out saying she used a body double in Coachella so she could have some privacy. That was the only other headline I found interesting. What, what does that mean? Excuse she me? She apparently used a body double for to like be able to have privacy at Coachella. So like, what, the what does that mean? Uh, what was the body double doing? Like walking through the? Uh, I think she was just. Like backstage back, area back, or what? I don't get it. Yeah, I think from what I read, it was like she dressed up as her backstage, so like people could see her from the stage, but like she wasn't there. She was like walking around in like disguise, just so people wouldn't like come up to her. That's bizarre. I'll discount it because I, I tend to like her. There's a self-centeredness to this. I mean, the idea that I mean, there are people that are you know I've, I've told my infamous story about. Uh, Andy Williams at the at the Grammys. I mean, there are people that were famous all over the world that in due time no one recognizes them. You know, so she's got it coming, right? Let me tell you my friend but this my friend told me this story. She was at Dwayne Reed about ten years ago, right, around Christmas time, right? And there's a guy in front of her, you know, with white hair, and she goes, Excuse me. She goes, very much like Andy Williams. He looks to him and goes, I am Andy Williams. <laughs> <laughs> I think you told that story the same time I told my story about Andy at the Grammys, you know. Right, yeah. So yeah well, it reminds me about that. Just like imagine, I don't know if that's an yeah. insult or a compliment, you know. Like, you yeah. know. Um, Probably both. One, one stupid thing, too. I remember this. Um, my mother, I don't know why I'm thinking my mom right now. You know why? Holy cow. It's funny. Sense memory. Today is the ninth anniversary of her passing, my mom. Wow, I just realized that. Oh, we were just talking about that, her heavenly anniversary. Anyway, but one day, my mom used to love Hoda and Kathy Lee, right? Yeah, Hoda. Right, right. Probably about 12 years ago. I'm at Barnes & Noble's in Lincoln Center, and right ahead of me is Hoda, right? (laughs) 
So I called my mom. I said, Mom, guess who's ahead of me? She goes, who? Hoda. Get out. I go, let me talk to her. I go, Mom, I'm not going to talk to her. So anyway, I swear to God. Let me talk to her. I tap her on the shoulder. I don't know why. I go, excuse me, Hoda. He goes, yes. My mother is an amazing fan of yours. And she's on the phone. Would you say hello to her? <laughs> I give her the phone. She goes, she goes, what's her name? I go, Helen. She goes, hi, Helen. This is so much. Oh, my. I don't, I don't even know what my mother said to her. But she she, she kept going. And, uh, and all I know is Hoda's going, oh, yeah. Uh, right. Uh, okay. Who knows? Because my mother's kind well, of. That's the, see, that's the price you pay. And that's the way you should approach she your gave me my phone notoriety. Back and, but she was so nice to my mother. I, yeah, I thought exactly. that was wonderful. You know, That's the <laughs> job, right? Well, that's necessarily by the fact that she embraced it and says, yeah. Well, because I wasn't being creepy about it. It was just, it was a, an honest moment where my mother wanted to talk right, to me, you know? Right, right, right. But anyway, so, I, so anyway, I love Hoda for that. You know, I, you know, I don't, so. It goes to show, like, the character of her personality, too. Like. Kind of. That she was, again, like, willing to do that, because I bet you there are some people out there who yeah, would not she, be she, willing. Yeah, she could have been snotty and says, excuse me, I, I, you know, I'm, I just want to get home. Yeah. You should have sent her body double to the, to the book. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh. You want to get on out of this episode? We're going to get on out of this amazing episode. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. Make sure that you listen all the way through because we have one more single by Blaine called Love a Little More. For everything that we spoke about, you can go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you all later. in the neon of every bar in this town when you've been kissed underneath every star in the sky for miles around when your counter's covered in flowers and you're getting all of my overtime hours and it's looking like it might be it because it looks like I've gone all in if you think I can't dig a little deeper wait till you see what I got in about is getting my hard-earned money with a little 10% down when my last name is your last name and you're showing off a princess cut diamond ring telling all of your friends girls this is good as it gets if you think I can dig a little deeper wait till you see what I got in store if you think I can't sugar up the sweeter, sweep your feet right off the floor. When you think you've been loved like you've never been loved before, I'm gonna love a little If you think I can't dig a little deeper, wait till you
what I got in store. If you think I can't sugar up the sweet. 